serve the people in a good way by presenting Creator Sets Free in a more culturally relevant context. So the key is that Creator Sets Free is Jesus, the village of Warm Springs is Emmaus, honored by his father is Cleopas, the village of Peace is Jerusalem, the people of Iron are the Romans, seed planter village is Nazareth, one who hears is Simon, wrestles with Creator is Israel, and drawn from the water is Moses. So just bear with it. It's not like a foreign language. It's just a little different. Please stand for the reading of this morning's gospel. On the same day, two of the followers of Creator Sets Free were walking to the village of Warm Springs, seven miles out from the village of Peace. As they walked along, they were talking about all that had happened. Creator Sets Free came alongside them as they walked, but their eyes were kept from seeing who he was. He said to them, what are you talking about? They stopped walking, and a look of sadness fell over their faces. One of the men, honored by his father, answered him, How can you not know about the things that have happened in the village of peace? You must be from far away. What things are you talking about? he asked. About Creator sets free from Seed Planter Village. He was a prophet from the Great Spirit with powerful medicine, who did many good things among all the people. The head holy men and other leaders handed him over to the people of iron to be put to death on the cross. We had hoped that he would free the tribes of wrestles with Creator from the people of iron. It is now the third day since they killed him on the cross, but today some women told us an amazing story. Early this morning, they went to his burial cave and found that his body was not there. They told us about visions of spirit messengers who told them he was alive. Some of our men went to see with their own eyes and found the empty cave, but they did not see Creator Sets Free. Why are your hearts so slow to believe the words of the prophets, he said. It should be clear to you that the Chosen One would suffer first before he would be lifted up and honored above all. So Creator Sets Free told them his story, beginning with Drawn from the Water and all the prophets. He showed them how all the ancient sacred teachings were written about the Chosen One and pointed the way to him. As they entered the village, he walked on as if to go farther. They said to him, Please, stay with us. It is late and the sun will soon set. So he went into the lodging house with them. When they sat down to eat a meal together, Creator Sets Free took some fry bread into his hands. He gave thanks and broke it, giving each of them a piece. Suddenly, their eyes were opened, and they knew who he was. 
but he vanished right in front of them. The men looked at each other in wide-eyed wonder and said, It felt like our hearts were on fire when he was talking with us on the road, showing us the meaning of the sacred teachings. They got up without finishing their meal and walked back to the village of peace as fast as they could, for the sun was setting. They found where the eleven had gathered together with the others. They were saying, Our wisdom keeper is alive. He has shown himself to one who hears. So the two men told them what had happened on the road and how their eyes were opened when Creator Sets Free broke the fry bread into pieces. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I found this book at Gibson's. It's called Dawnland Voices. It's an anthology of indigenous writing from New, New England. So you're going to get a poem from your own local Indians. This is referred to as the old man's walk. They, the white man, say, declare officiously, that sometime in the night, which night they do not know, in the deep fog of the white mountains, the old man fell to his death, crumbling into profile lake. In truth, so say the Abenaki, his relatives, he's been struggling to go home to his wife for years now. Under the watchful protection of the fog people, he broke free of the bolts and cables that held him for decades. Lipkamkani, travel well, old man, grandfather of the granite, long-suffering husband, watchful ancestor. There's a lot of falling being done these days, but this old face did not fall. He took a long walk, the walk we all take, alone, without fanfare, or time of death called by an attending physician. I think he smiled, though he hadn't smiled for a thousand years. I think he smiled and called out, Matsotau, enough, trembled with longing for his wife and children, and simply dove off the face of the mountain, into the mirror of time, into his own profile. It's a good sign that the old man decided to walk the land again, free of the white man's cords of steel. On home, grandfather, Lignoemi, the water feels good against your brow. We have a lot to learn from the people who walked this planet before we did. While I was serving on a reservation, 99% of what I did was with the people. 1% was with a worshiping congregation of maybe about 40 or so. But of the 40, maybe 30 were native. It was a native church that was funded by the General Board of Global Ministries. It had to happen. So the people in the church 
were very welcoming of a white pastor. But what I learned more than any other single thing was that even though I was a part of the dominant culture, I was a minority. There were only about 10% white people living on the reservation. And one of the things that I found heartbreaking was when white people wanted to buy land because it was fertile land and they were able to farm it. Natives did not have any clear understanding of selling land. Land belongs to the creator. Land does not belong to people. So when people would come and offer them a pot of money and say, let us buy your land, they would laugh and take the money and say, you can't buy land, until they found out that yes, in fact, they could. There's still a lot of land on the Yakima Reservation, which is a million and a half acres, that there's a lot of land that reverts back to the tribe when somebody tries to sell it. People have a way of leaving their land to relatives rather than trying to sell a house. You leave your land to somebody no matter how remotely related they are. Another thing I learned was that you don't need to Christianize people who have a deep spirituality. We have no need to go and beat them over the head with a Bible because this is the way they understand something beyond themselves. I was given this shawl and told that the fringe can represent the wind or water which are gifts from the Creator. How many of you have your clothing that you can say, this represents something of God? Virtually everything in the natives' lives has some connection to the earth and to the Creator. I am absolutely thrilled that this particular day follows Earth Day. It's really kind of interesting. It doesn't always happen that way. My dream catcher has all kinds of... The cats think this is a wonderful toy. So it mostly lives in a closet. There are things on this dream catcher that represent lots of things about the earth. The red and the black are very important to Native Americans. Red, black, and white are colors that relate to wind, rain, fire. Those are things that are important. The birds of the air are very important, so the, uh, therefore all the feathers. This was made for me after my fire. So everything here is like 20-some-odd years old. The doll is in native dress. The eagle feather was a gift 
to signify life after I had done a funeral for a member of the tribe. The blanket here is a Pendleton blanket. Pendletons were not part of the Yakima Nation, but they're a neighboring tribe. The Yakima Nation is a, a group of 14 tribes and bands that were put together in 1855. There was a treaty of 1855, and therefore, the Yakima people do not recognize the state of Washington, nor do they recognize the state troopers in Washington, because the state wasn't official until 1898. So they predate the state. But the blanket came to me after doing a native wedding. And in a native wedding, the bride and the groom have a Pendleton blanket that they wrap around themselves. And then the wedding takes place with this blanket wrapped around. A wedding blanket is generally white, and it's beautiful. But this was my gift for doing the wedding. Some of the things that I learned were things that came to me through worship experiences with natives. In the little church, Wilbur Memorial United Methodist Church, which now is closed, which makes me very sad. But that church would do communion in a circle and we would serve one another. And so the children would be part of the circle and I would stand and when the bread would come around, I would take it and turn around and there was Dylan, a little four-year-old, lifted up his hands and he said, more please. And everybody in the circle kind of chuckled. And I said, wouldn't it be wonderful if we all wanted more of Jesus? rather than having perfunctory communion. Why don't we want more Jesus? More Jesus. There was a significant Hispanic population on the reservation, most undocumented, good place for them to be, because it's relatively safe. On a reservation, the sheriff has jurisdiction over white people and the Tribal police have jurisdiction over the native people, and so it's a great place to hide if you happen to be an undocumented Hispanic. So we were talking about Christmas, and one of the little native kids was sitting next to a little Hispanic kid, and the Hispanic kid said, Christ mas, you know what that means. More Christ. So that sort of followed that theme of more please. For us, we do everything by rote because we've done it that way forever. But when you've been hungry or you've been abused, you look at a meal that was prepared for you by Jesus or creator sets free in a very different light. 
There were many people on the reservation who had been forced into Indian schools that were roughly, well, they weren't quite as old as I am, but they were within that range. People who became very good friends of mine, who told me the stories of having their hair cut and their native dress being taken away from them and being burned with cigarettes when they spoke native language. One woman showed me the scars on her back from being burned for speaking her native tongue. The other things that I learned were that natives are the most generous people you'll ever meet. If one person has something to eat, they will share it with whoever has nothing. I had someone come to the door. We ran a huge food pantry. And he came to the door on a Sunday afternoon and food pantry distributions on Saturday. And he said, I just got here. I've got five kids and I don't have anything to eat in this house. And I said, no problem. We'll go over to the food pantry and we'll fix you up. So I gave him two or three bags of groceries and told him when we did distributions and that you didn't have to have any kind of credentials. You just showed up and got your food. He went home, came back about half an hour later with a salmon, frozen solid, about that big, <laughs> because salmon is a native, one of their sacred foods and they have, uh, part of their treaty is that they can fish in the Columbia River and get as much salmon as they want. So I said to one of my friends, member of the church, I said, Ted, what do I do with this? And he said, well, you eat it. And I said, I, I don't have anything that I can put something, you know, there's nothing big enough to put this salmon in. And what would I do? I'd have to eat it for a month. And he said, oh, okay. So he comes to my house with a sawzall that he uses only for salmon and cuts the thing up into fillets. I ate salmon for like a year off of that one salmon. But every year at huckleberry time, I would get huckleberries left on my doorstep. The children just lit up my life. But the understanding of where God is in the midst of the reservation. Yes, I was serving the United Methodist Church, supported, I might say, by Native American Ministry Sunday. But there was a Shaker church, an Indian Shaker church, which isn't related to the Shakers that are like here. It's a different, I don't understand what, where they got the name. There was also there was also a lot of worship in Indian churches. The woman who had the burns on her back was a pastor in one of the churches, and she invited me to come because they had Wednesday night worship as well as Sunday worship. And while they were much more conservative than I am, they did speak of the Creator and the Great Spirit, and Creator sets free. 
and used a lot of native singing and dancing in their service. And there was no way you could sit there and not feel the power of the Holy Spirit moving. We have a funny notion that things have to be a certain way. Natives do not sit in pews and face front. Never, ever, ever. They always sit like in a semicircle. Always. Even if they have pews, they're set up in a semicircle. I think one of the things that touched me the most was learning native death rituals. One of the saddest funerals I did was for a two-year-old. And when Luciano drowned, he had fallen into an irrigation canal wearing rubber boots that filled up with water and pulled him down. I was invited to go to his dressing ceremony. In native tradition, no matter what tribe you are invited to, a dressing ceremony is where the family washes and dresses the deceased which sounds grim to us because we don't want to know anything about that. But it does make death And you don't have any doubts. And it's a ceremony that is great love. But then after following the dressing ceremony, they do an overnight ceremony where someone sits usually family, sits with the deceased overnight. And it gives a complete understanding of grieving. There's none of this three days and it's all over with. Luciano was in his home for three days and then they had the funeral. And in the funeral service, there's none of this sneaking in the back and sneaking out. Everybody comes and at the end of the service, those people who are the same gender as the deceased all walk by and greet the family. And then the other gender walks by and greets the family. And then they go to the cemetery. And in most cases, you would carry the casket to the cemetery on your shoulders. There's none of this being, having it whisked away by a funeral director and then just showing up miraculously. At the cemetery, they would have the family take a handful of dirt, three hands full of dirt, in the name of the Creator, the Great Spirit, and the Creator sets free. You'd have those three hands full of dirt. And in some families, that might just about do it because some families were huge. But then everyone else would put three hands full in and you stay there until the grave is filled. Handful by handful. But the part that is most moving is a year later when they have what is called a giveaway. And at that time, if it's an older person, their most prized possessions will be given away. 
a gun would be given to that person's oldest male relative who hadn't been hunting yet. A fishing pole would go to an, a male relative. A special headdress would go to a male relative. At Luciano's giveaway, they gave away his toys. And then there's a celebration, and they give away the Indian name to the youngest relative of the same gender, which is a beautiful thing because it talks about continuation of a line. It talks about people going on, that life as we know it ends, but life as God knows it continues. We have some pretty perverted ideas about how to celebrate or not celebrate the death of a loved one. And we kind of make it very perfunctory Waiting a whole year is not picking a scab or reopening a wound. It's finding closure. And the celebrations were amazing. There was a band in White Swan that I had to look up yesterday because I could not remember the name of it. It's the Black Lodge Singers, and they have been Grammy-nominated. So I spent the better part of yesterday afternoon, I'm very good at finding things to fill up time, which is, you know, useless stuff. But I spent the better part of yesterday afternoon listening to the Black Lodge singers and watching powwows in tears. Because I miss it. I miss that heart beat kind of music that comes right into your gut because it's mostly it sounds like screaming and drum beats but once you have been there and understood what people are doing and how it makes a difference in their lives you can't help but hear that music and re recognize that it is a beating heart it is the heart of a nation, it is the heart of the people around, it is the heart of life itself. It's a heartbeat that comes from the center of the earth. The first powwow I went to, I thought it was very, very loud. And then I got used to it. My cats didn't like it very much. When I left the reservation, it was because my brother was sick, and I couldn't be 3,000 miles away. But the friendships and the depth of understanding that I found in being there in that place changed my life profoundly. I see God in a very different way. I see God as a much more inclusive God because I don't even have to call God, God. I'm very comfortable calling God the creator. I'm very comfortable calling God the great spirit. It doesn't matter to me what name you give God. 
Even using the name Allah, which causes us to go, is a language thing. It is not a different God. I don't come unglued when somebody uses the word Dios or Deos to describe God because it's Spanish for crying out loud. Allah is Arabic for crying out loud. We need to open our hearts and our minds to something that isn't exactly like us. I looked for a book about the history of Native Americans in this particular area, and there's not much. And I don't understand that. It's almost like this was the area of the country that was settled early on, so we could just get rid of all the Native history because it's much more convenient. I don't even, I couldn't find any real reservations in New England that are sizable. I can't believe that there isn't a strong native culture here. We need to sensitize ourselves in different ways. We need to be people who can see others as just another form of creation in God's image. I would not give up for two seconds the time that I spent in White Swan. I lost everything I owned there, and I'd still go back in a heartbeat. I grew. I learned to understand more about myself and more about God and more about what God is about in four short years. And I wish everyone could have that same experience. God is bigger than you are. Just saying. Amen and amen. <laughs>